I will be reading from the last chapter of the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shagayanath, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise, Selah. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and, and shook the, the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck, Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. <clears throat> it is a privilege to be with you again. We hope to be seeing you this summer, from time to time at least. Brother Steve asked if I could fill in a little bit in Linford's absence, so we'll try to do that. Please have your Bibles open to Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk, or whatever you call him. 
I came up calling him Habakkuk. I doubt if any of our pronunciations are exactly right. The Hebrew would have always emphasized the last syllable, so Habakkuk, I suppose, is how he, something like he might have pronounced it. <coughs> last Monday, uh, we were on our way home from Mississippi, having had uh, several speaking engagements at the church planting conference. And as is sometimes the case after a, speaking, a series of speaking engagements, uh, we basically sit back and let the engine bring us home. And in that process, uh, we listen to the radio some during the day Monday. And the comments uh, that we were hearing from the American Family Network uh, and also comments from the conservative talk radio people were similar that day. They were looking for uh, the administration of our government to at least be embarrassed by the various escapades that have been happening and perhaps even to be in a position to lose face and lose some power. And they were looking at it with a certain amount of glee at that prospect. Uh, when I arrived back at the office, uh, we uh, got busy with some work and then in the evening talked together informally as we do sometimes. Uh, and uh, several of us were talking about the events of the day and I mentioned what I had heard on the radio on the way back and said something like this, if the uh, if the conservative side is right, why this administration is in trouble. But I'm not sure that they're right. And Brother Keith Booker, uh, my associate and fellow administration member there at the Institute, uh, spoke up and said uh, something like this, quite pointedly, if the Lord wanted to remove this fellow from the presidency, he would have done it last November. Uh, he has him here for a purpose. It's not necessarily a purpose we will enjoy. It will probably result in persecution, but God has him there for a purpose. And uh, I think he's right, though I don't necessarily like it. And some of those feelings, if you will, were the feelings of Habakkuk. And this book, which we will try to just review this morning, is a book that is different from the other 12 or the other 11 of the Minor Prophets. In this respect, it is basically a conversation between God and Habakkuk, or between Habakkuk and God, heavily in, uh, initiated by Habakkuk. It's a cry to the Lord for fairness, 
It's a cry to the Lord to punish evil and apostasy. And the Lord deals with Habakkuk, as was suggested in the pre-meeting this morning, uh, a bit like he deals with Job. And I believe that this book is very instructive for us in this day. Uh, when we live in a society that is not too stable, we live under a civil government that is not going the way of the fathers, live in a day when to speak some of the truths in the word of God would be called hate crimes, punishable by imprisonment, with the promise that it's going to get worse, not better. And I think we tend to cry out to the Lord a bit like Habakkuk. Uh, you know, how long are you going to let this go on, Lord? Why are you letting it go on at all? Not merely a response to the civil situation, but also in, in church. As we think of things that don't seem to be always fair, uh, why doesn't God do something about that? And then when he does, we don't necessarily like the way he does it. And Habakkuk is basically an apologetic for how God deals with those of us on earth, in earth time, and a bit of an explanation of how God thinks toward us and toward the creatures, other creatures here on the earth. So as Habakkuk lived in an unstable political time, and if you look at that uh, in the history of the time, it was very unstable. Uh, there was changing of who was ruling who on a very regular basis. There were big things happening uh, from Egypt uh, through Mesopotamia uh, military action was a regular thing. Putting people under slavery was common, but then you would change masters from time to time. That was the start of the climate. And within that climate, the people of God were apostatizing rather than trusting God. So it is out of that background that we come to the text. I suggested to Brother Harvey that he read the last chapter so that we would see where this is going to end up, and then we will try to get there uh, in this study. I'm going to read the first chapter at this point. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? 
Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astonished or astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They are all for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? You have Habakkuk's first problem in the first four verses of chapter 1. Basically, to think about it in our time, he says, what are you going to do about apostasy? What are you going to do about the apostasy of your people? Habakkuk says to God. And in verses 5 through 11, we have the Lord's answer. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, and they're going to bring judgment on the people called by the name of the Lord. Now, the Chaldeans are a wicked people. As uh, Habakkuk responds, they are worse than the Israelites. And God is going to use them to punish his very own people because of their apostasy? That is the second aspect of Habakkuk's problem. First one, why aren't you doing something? God's answer is, I am. 
I'm going to bring the Chaldeans against my people. And therein, I think, lies some of our misunderstanding about how God works. We look at the man of Romans chapter 13, uh, the man that at least is most likely to be spoken of there, a fellow by the name of Nero. And he is called a minister of God. And Nero's on the short list of the most evil men that ever lived. And we say, how come, God? How can you do that? And the reason we question is because our view of God is too narrow and too limited. God is viewing the whole picture. We're viewing just a little sliver of it. And he can and does make evil men glorify his name. I don't understand that. I don't particularly like that. But it is true. And so, in this case, he's going to use people more evil than the people who are being disciplined. He's going to use people that are more evil than the people being disciplined to discipline them. Namely, the Chaldeans. And that then leads us immediately uh, to the second complaint, as I suggested already. Why are you going to use a more wicked nation than the ones that you're disciplining? And the Lord answers that, beginning in chapter 2, uh, Habakkuk says, uh, I'm going to sit down and wait, wait see what this, how you're going to answer this. So follow along as I read chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watch post and station, excuse me, station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. And if it seems slow, wait for it. And it will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright in him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor. An arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers himself for all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him that heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? 
then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain from his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and the violence and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God's answer in the first part of chapter 2, verses essentially verses 2 uh, and 3, and uh, as well as 4 and 5, but verses 2 and 3 basically is the Chaldeans will also be punished. Essentially, no one gets away with anything. In the creation of God, no one gets away with anything. And so, yes, in the New Testament times, he used Nero as a part of the Roman Empire to accomplish some things that were a part of his plan. That does not mean that Nero would not be utterly punished. In this day of Habakkuk, he, used, he was going to use the Chaldeans. But that doesn't mean they get off scot-free. You see, God is the God of the big picture. And his people needed to be disciplined. And he was going to discipline them with the use of the Chaldeans. But the Chaldeans were not going to get off scot-free. They also were to be utterly punished. It seems that God acts very slow. Uh, but he does act. And the description 
of the woes to the Chaldeans that then Habakkuk speaks of, beginning in verse 6 and following, is a description of people who are selfish, self-centered, mean, uh, who uh, mistreat God's creation, and they, in the process of being used to discipline God's people, will in fact heap up to themselves more punishment. See, it's all part of one huge picture. We want to pull out one item and make a judgment in human terms. And that is not, not wise. We must see the huge picture of how God works throughout history and in the present. Now those who are students of prophecy find it interesting that there is apparently no mention in future prophecy of this great United States of America. Now we don't know what that means, but I suspect it means that the American, uh, that America as we know it will have risen and fallen and will not be worth mention in future days. And we may be getting very close to that final fall. Don't know. Do we have to worry about it if we know the God who is working all these things together? I'm not sure that we have to worry about it. And the key in God's response is, at the is in verse 4 of chapter 2. And this key is not just an Old Testament principle. It occurs again early in the book of Romans and was a part of uh, the solution to eternal life for a man by the name of Martin Luther many years later. You'll notice in verse 4, as far as the Chaldeans and others like them in history are concerned, their soul is puffed up, he is not upright. But, now notice, but the righteous, those who in, are in right standing with God, shall live by their or his faith. That is to say, those in right standing with God Walk by faith, not by sight. And that is the problem that Habakkuk was having. He was walking by sight. He was looking at how these things were and how they had not to be. And it did not appear that God was doing anything. And then when God did reveal his purpose that he was going to do something, he didn't like what God was going to do. He was, it was all a walking by sight. And God says, the righteous... Walk by faith. And so this is a call. The book of Habakkuk is, in fact, a call to walk by faith. And this, again, is a New Testament theme. We walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, we come to the Lord by faith. And many of our evangelical friends stop right there. 
But the fact of the matter is we live after we become a Christian. We live by that same kind of faith. In other words, we forsake everything else and we trust in God and his ways, his salvation, his life. And so this is a walk by faith. And that was Habakkuk's problem. He was walking by sight. And this looked really bad. And that's the problem with many American Christians today. They're walking by sight, and this looks bad. But we're seeing just a little sliver of history. And we need to look at God. And we need to look at the immensity of history from God's point of view. And so our projected pain and suffering here in the United States, our economic troubles, they're small compared to everything. They seem big to us, but they're small compared to the immensity of the panorama of God's work here on earth. And so we are to walk by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. And that was Habakkuk's problem. And may I be so bold as to say it is our problem as well. Especially when we get all bent out of shape about how things are and how we think they ought to be. Rather than trusting in the Lord and knowing that these things will all work together. And in the end, they'll work together for good. But there can be a lot of travail between now and then. And chapter 2 concludes with something that I think is often misunderstood. You'll notice what it says in verse 20 of chapter 2. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Is that the silence of awe, as we often think of it, A-W-E? I don't think so. I think the Lord has made his argument here. And he's saying, you don't have anything to say, Habakkuk. Keep quiet. I am in the temple. I am working. And the Chaldeans are coming. They will be utterly punished for their evil deeds one day. This is just one little sliver of a great panorama of history. He doesn't say shut up. Uh, that is not uh, the spirit here. But in view of who God is. We do not have to reason about why he doesn't discipline the Israelites when we think he ought to. And why he allows the Chaldeans to be a part of that discipline in his time. The Lord is in his temple. Let the earth be silenced. Keep silence before him. Now Habakkuk is learning through this interchange. And we see that in the passage that was read earlier, chapter 3. 
sort of the conclusion of the matter. Uh, Habakkuk hasn't learned everything, nor will we in this life. But you know he has learned some things. And if you look at verse 16, before the rejoicing section that we are more familiar with, the end of verse 16, well, let's read verse 16 on its entirety uh, once again. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble before me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. So he's waiting for all this to happen. And it probably speaks of less than full maturity. And yet I would point to you, I would point out to you the key word here. Quietly. He's pretty mouthy at the beginning of the book. To God. Now he says, I will quietly wait. I'm fearful for all this is going to happen. It's Scares me to death, Habakkuk essentially says, but I will quietly wait for the Lord to deal with the people who are going to invade us. So can't you see the progress from chapters 1 and the questions? Okay, Habakkuk says, okay. He doesn't like it any better, but he says, okay, I'll quietly wait for the Lord to fulfill his word. That's a little more like walking by faith. May not be, you know, he may not be getting 100% on this exam, but he's, he's, he's got to passing probably. Uh, as he says, I will quietly. I, I'm, I'm done talking about it. Uh, I'm ready to keep silence. And then he has this song, if that's indeed what it is, probably is, uh, at the close. And it is where we need to get. And we who have so much temptation to walk by sight don't get there real easily. Notice the song there at the close. I'm going to read that again also. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I ta will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He, he makes me tread on my high places. You see, if we walk by sight, then the fig tree has to blossom. And there has to be fruit on the vines. And the olive has to produce 
as do the fields. And the flocks need to be in the fold, and there needs to be a herd in the stalls. Because when we walk by sight, we only see God's, we only see God when we see his blessings. And we forget that he can bless us in other ways. Now this passage does great damage to the health and wealth people. Because you see, this is walking by faith. And it doesn't matter when you walk by faith whether the, uh, the pantry is full or empty. But if you walk by sight, it does. And so, walk by faith, we can rejoice in God with an empty pantry. Or an empty barn. Or whatever. Because our trust is not in things, or even in the God who gives us things. But our trust is in God. And the fact that he will care for us. Not the way we want him to always, but he will care for us. And so God is our strength. And he will enable us to persevere to the end. That's where our confidence needs to be. When we look around us, we look at the society around us, we look at all the problems we have, we look at all the economic issues we have, it's depressing. But when we look to the Lord, therein is strength. Empty barn or no. And that is what Habakkuk learned. May we learn also. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being who you are. And help us, as Peter of old, not to look at the wind and the waves, that is to walk by sight, but to look in the eyes of the Savior and know therein is salvation, therein is peace, and therein is your kind of supply for our needs. We pray in Jesus' name.